Hey everybody, this is Sean McVeigh and welcome to the Vet Med Mind. What is the Vet Med Mind? It's a podcast that we're doing here at Veterinary Growth Partners, celebrating success stories in veterinary medicine. I'm joined by Rachel Tashberg. You've certainly heard her speak or lecture at some of our conferences. So together and with other guests, we're going to explore in veterinary medicine, both current, past, and maybe even future uh, success stories. And we're back again for another podcast. Uh, So excited to be bringing to you our next installation where we look at movers and shakers in the veterinary industry and talk to them about what made them successful. Our focus is on success. So, Rachel, who's coming up to visit us this next podcast? I'm so excited actually about this next episode because I had the pleasure of talking with Dr. Laura Coffin, who's the owner of Animal Medical Center of Tyler. And her and I go way back, actually. I have been coaching with her for about five years. So about Mm -hmm. since I started at VGP almost. um, So just shortly after I began. So it's been really amazing actually watching her grow over the last few years that we've been working together, but even more special just to sit down and actually just talk about where she's been and where she is now and what the future holds. A lot of times in our meetings, you know, we talk a lot of strategy and goals and plans. And so it was just really nice to sit down with her, just kind of like we're having a cup of coffee and uh, learning more about her in this new way. From from our conflict competence and our strategic planning meetings and our pathway planning meetings, uh, she seems like she's been all on board with what VGP has to offer, and it's made a lot of differences in her practices. So uh, hopefully we'll get to touch on some of those things. Yes, we absolutely will. So I can't wait for everybody to hear it and looking forward to our next one. Okay, Dr. Cawthon, I'm so excited to have you here. You and I have worked together for five years now, if you can even believe it. I know. I look back at our notes and I was like, are you kidding me? January, 2017, which means I was like a little baby coach. (laughs) I was really new at BGP. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's been a minute. And so for everyone listening, Dr. Laura Coffin, she is an amazing owner, founder of the Animal Medical Center of Tyler in Tyler, Texas. And like I said, we've been working together for so many years and I have loved working with you so much that as soon as we started this podcast, I was like, I know someone who has to be on here. And so I emailed you right away (laughs) and I'm so excited to do it. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's very fun. Yeah. Awesome. So we're going to start sort of at the beginning. I... I know that you have owned this practice since 2011, but I wanted you to tell kind of a little bit about your background, a little bit about you and sort of, you know, the, the, the beginnings of Dr. Laura Cawthon. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I've been out, I guess, 15 years now. Um, I went to work in private practice first. I didn't really enjoy my position. I ended up going to a corporate veterinary uh, hospital here in town and was chief of staff there for a couple of years. Um, and then I went out on my own and, um, I think it was something I always knew I wanted to do. I've always had an interest in business and always knew that ownership would be in my future. And, um, you know, we started this practice in 2011 and have just grown and, and with your help, I mean, you've helped us make a very profitable practice and, um, streamline a lot of things for us. And it's been a really, really good partnership. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. It has been fantastic watching your journey now. I'm just curious about when you were young, 
Did you always know you wanted to be a vet? Were you someone who like had that dream from the get go? I really did. Um, you know, I can remember one of my best friends growing up, her dad was a veterinarian. Um, and uh, I remember one time her grandmother, um, we were at her grandmother's house and she had given us some money to go to the grocery store and um, to get like snacks and, you know, a little candy or whatever. And instead of getting candy, we bought peroxide and gauze and um, alcohol and witch hazel and bandage stuff. We came back and the grandmother was like, what, what are you doing? We said, well, we're going to find some animals that are hurt and we're going to help them. And so we were like really serious about that. Of course, the grandmother didn't burst our bubble or anything and let us just play. But um, it was it was really like that for me. I just I just knew it was something I wanted to do um, and something that you know, I had a calling for. I love that story. <laughs> that's just brilliant. I like, you were really committed. You weren't just like, yeah, like when I grew up, I want to be, you were like, no, I'm buying medical supplies. I'm going to go, find gonna go ahead and get started. Yeah. We were probably, I don't know, eight or nine years old and we were, we were ready to go ahead and find those animals. I don't think yeah. we ever found anyone that were really needing us, but we had the supplies for sure. Oh, that makes me, I can just imagine a little backpack, like walking around the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. It's like, <laughs> Who needs our help? I know. That's amazing. So then, you know, you got to vet school and was that, what was that experience like? I mean, you were there, you were following your dreams. Was it kind of what you expected or was it just like completely? It was. I mean, I love school. I always yeah. have loved school. School's been easy for me. Um, I've always tested well. I've always just had an easy time learning the things that I wanted to learn. And so vet school was ex- exciting because it was stuff I wanted to know. Mm. It was like, finally, I mean, you get through all the history classes and the, all the undergrad stuff. And now you're actually learning the meat and potatoes and the real stuff. And so it was like super fun. I loved vet school. It was, um, I, I loved college station, A&M, the whole thing, the whole experience was wonderful. So yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Do you feel like vet school prepared you for the realities of being a doctor in practice, like outside of the medicine, like the people stuff, the euthanasia, the emotional well-being things that have come up? You know, I mean, I think they did the best they could. I I think, um, you know, some of those things you have to learn on your own along the way. And, and, um, you know, I, I think I had really good parents uh, along the way to help teach me how uh, coping mechanisms and uh, communication skills and things like that. Um, so I credit my parents with a, lo- a lot of that as well. But um, vet school, I-, I-, I think they they did a good job of what you can do in four years. Um, I felt yeah. pretty adequately prepared when I got out and hit the ground running and, you know, was had success from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I hear it a lot where there's this sort of like balance of like, there's always more to learn, right? There's always, I think that there's sometimes we're like, you know, I wish I could have stayed in school for like another three, five, 10 years, right? Like there's right. always something new to learn. And, mm-hmm. um, and I know that it can be really, uh, it, it, there can be a lot of realities in practice that, you know, that school's main concern is making sure you can treat the patients that you see. And this other stuff sort of comes up along the way. Um, so at what point, cause you were, you were the medical director, right. Of a, of another facility. And so when did it click for you that you were like, you know what, my entrepreneurial spirit, my need is calling me. Um, what, what made you finally make that move? Truth be told, I, I, I uh, had some issues with the way some of the, the employees were 
doing things. And uh, I just um, had some different ideas from what was going on in my current practice. And uh, it just was enough to, to push me to say, okay, it's time I'm ready. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just jumped in and, and did it. I, I ultimately just wanted to be able to make, you know, some, some decisions that um, I wasn't able to do in that kind of position. So. And so then you opened up your practice and there you were a business owner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it was, it was kind of um, scary. You know, I had saved up some money so that I, I knew I couldn't take a paycheck for a little while. Um, I, I started the practice with four people. I hired four people and a lot of the, even some of the vets that are local to me here kind of thought I was crazy for hiring four people from a startup practice. You know, <laughs> it was like, what are you doing? Your, your payroll's going to eat you alive. And um, I was like, well, I, I plan on growing quickly. And, and we did. And I hired the right people in the right positions. And we were able to, you know, be, be up and running in a real live vet clinic pretty quick. So um, it was, it, it was good. I mean, we had early success and um, we just continue to, to grow. And of course it's not as rapid growth as it was in the beginning now, but it's still, we still year after year have, have done more and just continue to be more profitable. Yeah. And now you also work with a family member, right? So, yes. yes. <laughs> so talk to me about that. Cause that's, that's kind that's, of fun. I mean, to me, that's one of the keys of my early success too, is I, my sister, um, my baby sister, she's almost 14 years younger than me. She is my office manager and she's been with me from the beginning. She was, I guess, probably, I don't know, 20, 21 or so when we started. She didn't even know what heartworms it was. You know, I just knew she was really good and really efficient and great with people. And I knew we could plug her in. And so I taught her everything she knows about veterinary medicine. Uh, she, <laughs> she really knew very little. I remember the first time she saw like a cat tongue and it has these little spikes on it. She's like, Oh my gosh, that's what cat tongues are like. You know? <laughs> so we, we taught her everything from cat tongues to, you know, and she's assisted in surgery now. She can do it all. She pretty much just is, uh, you know, kind of runs the show around here, but yeah. it's been great to have her on board because she's a really big part of our success. Yeah. And that's amazing. I love your relationship. And it's, it says a lot to be able to work with a family member mm-hmm. successfully without, you know, family drama or this or that. And, right. um, you know, I know there's always sort of that thing when you're like, oh, family members, I don't yeah. know. But like, if there's something about you guys, you collaborate really well, you work yeah. really well together. Um, and you know what I think the key that I really see too, especially in our meetings together is you guys seem to always have a good time. Like there's just a, a lightness about the way that you guys, you know, just show up and sort of accept what's going on and and work through stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, that is one of our core values is have fun at work. It literally is one of our core values that we got, uh, we, we set up through you guys, but, um, have fun. Cause I, you know, this is what, how we spend most of our days. We spend more time with each other than we do with our, um, family members most of the time. So I, I think if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. Absolutely. Cause you were having fun back when you were a kid doing it. So <laughs> sure was. keep that going. So I love that. Now, have there been any surprises that you've encountered in being a business owner or just, you know, something that you weren't necessarily prepared for as you stepped from associate to practice owner? Well, I mean, I guess one of the biggest surprises I, I remember when I first started, um, because I was, you know, chief of staff over at a corporate practice and in charge of ordering and kind of some of that stuff. And then coming to my own practice, 
And I was really flabbergasted and shocked by the price difference in some of those um, purchasing agreements. And I, I had no idea that was a thing at that time. This was a long time ago and uh, was just like, we paid this much for the antibiotic and now I paid this much for the same bottle. And I was really shocked by that. And I was like, I was kind of mad about it. I was like, really? Like, that's, that's not fair, you know? And that's kind of what, you know, prompted me to kind of seek out VGP um, and, you know, try to get to be a part of some of these buying groups where I can buy vaccine at a good price um, and can be competitive with some of the bigger consolidators and, and corporate on practices. So to me, that was like a really big shock and eye opener. But, you know, we found ways to bring our cogs down and work around some of those issues and um, being part of VGP has certainly helped with that. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I we always like to think about the the benefits like that is like that extra cherry on top, you know, because right. it's true. It's it's hard for the private practice to, to make the kind of deals that a big corporation can make based right. on the volume of sales. So I'm glad that you're always been reaping the benefits of it, really. Mm-hmm. Now, strategic planning, let's talk about that because you were early on for coming to one of our strategic planning workshops. I remember that was like, I think maybe it was one of our first conversations with either right before, right after you came to our pathway planning workshop where we did strategic Mm -hmm. planning. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel like strategic planning has been a part of that success? Like talk to me about like a before and after or what you feel like strategic planning has brought to the practice. I feel like it just really got me organized, got me focused. Um, You know, I'm a real big believer in you set goals because otherwise you're just kind of, you know, milling around. If you've got a goal, you're working towards something and you're more likely to achieve something. So to me, it kind of gave me some direction and focus and uh, set guidelines on where do we want the practice to be? What is our, what is our vision? What, what direction are we going? And it really helped me get organized in that way. And it it made a a huge difference for us. You know, it really helped us to, to achieve those goals and continue the growth that we wanted to see. And, you know, I took a little trip down memory lane, kind of going through the notes that I've taken (laughs) over, over the last five years. Um, Okay. I did because I was like, I, I mean, I know, like we we've talked at least once a quarter for the last five right. years, right? At right. the least. And so I was like, I know the success that you've seen, but I was like, let me just start back. It's like, yeah, right. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Early and, days where our numbers were. It was- and you know what? I, I remember you said like one, your first like lofty goal. And what I noticed was that year after year after year, you every time exceeded that goal, exceeded that goal, exceeded that yeah. goal. And it was just, it's, a, it's been amazing to kind of see it. And, you know, one of the big things about strategic planning is transparency and your ability to just see what's in front of you, acknowledge it and do something about it. And I think one thing that I've witnessed is your ability to actually call out the stuff when you see it, recognizing when there is a morale issue or recognizing Mm -hmm. when there's a problem that needs to be fixed. Because a lot of times we have tendencies to try to just put those blinders on, right? Cross our fingers and like, okay, if I just, Mm -hmm. if I just ignore it, maybe it'll just like disappear on its own. Right. And we've all been there. But I, one of the things I really enjoy about, especially going back through all of our conversations is that from the beginning, you've been really honest with yourself and what's happening in the business, because that's, that's really how that progress gets made, right? We can't just pretend like it's all fine and dandy. Yeah. There's always room for improvement and there's always going to be challenges and things that we need to be working on. And I think, you know, working with the coaches is is what allows you to to see those things and and bring awareness to those areas a little bit easier than just by yourself. I mean, you were always, you know, it really, it never dawned on before I worked with you. It was like, never dawned on me that 
I would need a coach for a practice. Like, like it just didn't, it didn't make sense. Like what, what does that even mean? And then once we started working together, it, it doesn't mean you're telling me what to do. It means you're, you're giving me feedback on what we're already doing and how we can make it better and all this. And you're not telling me how to do anything. You're just helping me see what needs to happen. And it's just, they've been very valuable um, resource for us, for sure. I, love that. I, I likewise have learned from you. And I think that that's what's really cool about that coaching relationship is that I'm able to take what I see you doing, the success that you've seen, and also transfer those ideas into other practices and sure. say, Hey, yeah. I work with this incredible practice. This is something that they've tried. Why don't we try doing something like this? They've seen success here. And, you know, I think maybe without you even really knowing it, you inadvertently have been helping other practices all along too, because we love sharing ideas that are working for their practices. And so a lot of them come from you. So that's kind of cool. You have been paying forward without even realizing it. (laughs) I like that. That's neat. One of the things I also wanted to ask, how have you coped with some of the struggles that not, I mean, yes, our industry obviously faces a lot of very specific issues around suicide rates, mental health, well-being, burnout, compassion fatigue. I think the whole world, of course, dealing so with much, so much right, COVID and this and that. So I, I, like I said, one of the things I've noticed about you is you have a constant positive attitude. That value of having fun at work has been so prevalent. How, how do you handle that? How do you stay so resilient? I think I, surround myself with the right people. Um, I think it's really, really important that we've had over time members of the team that were not fitting in that that mold and, and were more on the negative side and bringing other team members down. And for me, I have to surround myself with positivity. I have to surround myself with people that, that lift me up. And it's really important to me that I elevate other people around me. So I have to just make it a conscious effort to do that. I like to lift people up, not, not drag anybody down. And so, you know, occasionally I'll have to call out a staff member that's, that's dragging, come on now, we, we gotta have, we gotta have, you know, a level 10 employee here. We've got to have positivity here, you know, and it's a profession. It, it can weigh on you, but we try to laugh when we can. We like to make jokes and, and be lighthearted. We say we laugh and so we don't cry some days, you know, um, and we just try to try to do that. But and also, I think having good work life balance is, is also crucial from the beginning. Um, you know, I, I take time off. I, I, I go on vacation. I um, tell people no. You know, I um, can't be everything to everybody all the time. And so I do what I can, um, but I've got to have, I got to take care of myself and my family first. I mean, that's still the most important thing. Um, it's more important than my practice, my health, my family, my well-being is more important than any, any pet. <laughs> and that's just the truth. That's really great. And I bet knowing that and having such a deep conviction about that really just makes those boundaries so much easier, right? So when someone mm-hmm. calls you three minutes before the, you know, the, the day closes, it, it there's no wishy-washiness. And I bet your team probably doesn't even have to ask, right? They're no, like, no, oh, I'm sorry. No, we're not going to be able to do that. And, and it's okay. You know, um, I don't have guilt or I feel bad if I, I turn somebody down at the end of the day. There are emergency veterinarians that serve those purposes. Um, it doesn't always have to be me. I have things I have to tend to. I have children that are relying on me. I got four kids, you know, so so being able to to say no and say no without, um, like you said, second guessing it or feeling bad about it to me, that is really, really important skill. And, and everybody should be able to do that um, and set those boundaries. And you said that you had that from the beginning. And so you feel like really from that get-go, you just, you knew what the, where those priorities were. Or you had to learn a little bit the hard way. 
Well, I'll tell you, when I started, I didn't have any kids. So my, my I was a lot more like, get them in, get them in, get them in. I'd see anything and everything. Let's go. Uh, and I worked six days a week then, too. You know, we were open Saturdays um, since COVID and everything, we shut down Saturdays. And I tell you what, I'm not opening Saturdays again because you know what? I really, really enjoy the time off and the staff loves it. And it's just really boosted morale to have those hours. And we haven't hurt uh, revenue wise um, because of it. We've been able to fit it in during the week and still maintain quality of life. So, you know, I think different times in my life, I've been, you know, more, you know, really, really pushing and taking anything and everything, but now I'm able to be a little bit more selective on what um, I see and, and when I see them and, and can set my schedule and keep, keep that balance a little bit better. Yeah. I love that. And it is so important and you're right. It isn't just about you. It's the team too. And it's that, that ability for them to have life outside of work. One thing I, I just recently had a, another phone call with a doctor for a podcast episode. I was talking to Dr. Shalzi Vigen, who did a Ted talk actually about the state of our industry. And one thing that she said that was um, really important, I think to sort of just vocalize is that here, especially in the U.S., and I think especially in our industry, you know, we're living to work and not really working to live. And the, it's just backwards. Right. And we just have it kind of all messed up <laughs> and we really have to reprioritize and say, I have four kids. I have hobbies outside of work. I there's things I want to do. I don't want to I don't want to wake up one day and and have that all be over. Right. Where kids are grown and we've missed out on those memories. I haven't had a day off. So I think it's great that you've set those priorities and so clearly and that you've set the example from the top and that your team can follow without any shame in your footsteps. One of the other questions I wanted to talk to you, of course, was who has inspired you throughout your career? Well, my family veterinarian from my little small town in Mount Vernon, Dr. Reed, was the first veterinarian I ever worked under. And I just I was um, I didn't spend a whole lot of time with him, but I did do some volunteer with him. And I was just always like amazed of the things he could do. You know, I mean, I remember uh, you know, I mean, he could do cattle and he did all mix and everything. And just I just being amazed, like he knows how to do that and that and that. But he also tells the stories when like when he graduated vet school, he's passed now. But um, when he graduated vet school, there were five cat diseases. And that was it. That's all the cats could have. You know, so things have changed a lot since then, too. But he was he was very, um, you know, impactful for me. And then then uh, Dr. Lucy Chitwood, um, she's a Banfield veterinarian in Dallas. I did a couple of externships with and I just uh, admire her so much. She's um, been a wonderful. She was one of the first classes. And I may get this wrong, but she was one of the first women in at a and vet school. Um, and she had shown me a letter that she had gotten the year before when she didn't get in. And it basically read like, well, since you have a family and, and a you know, husband and a child, we feel like your priorities are better met at home and, and we're not going to let you into vet school. And I just was like, what? I mean, I read the letter. I was like, seriously, this is the way it was? Like they told you you couldn't be in vet school because you're a woman with a kid? Like what? You know, because that was different than my experience growing up. My mom and everybody told me I could do anything I want to do. You know, I never, never guessed, second guess that. But for her to be one of the first women at a and um, paving the way for the rest of us, it just really, really inspired me. Um, she just, she, she, she paved the way for the rest of us. Um, and she's also just such a, a cat, cat whiz. I remember when I was doing my externship with her after first year, 
Like there's this cat like backed up in this kennel and he's like hissing and spitting and swatting at her. And she's like, oh, you come here. And she gets a towel and she's like wraps the cat up and gets it out. And I'm like, oh, my God, she is so brave. Like I was like, how is she doing that? Now, every time I go grab a hissing, spitting cat out of a kennel, I think, well, see, I learned just like Dr. Chitwood how to do it. Yeah. And my staff goes, oh, my gosh, how did you just get that cat out of there? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Channeling her energy. I channel, I channel Dr. Chitwood every time I grab a hissing spitting cat yeah wow. those those were two of my biggest you know veterinary mentors for sure yeah and how inspirational for you to see that letter and also like look at how far we've come I mean I know I know that's that is amazing so yeah, and 80 percent of my class was female you know right. so I you know that was not something I had even thought about the fact that maybe as a woman I couldn't do it um, right. you know so that was just like a real eye-opener for me yeah. Yeah. And good for her. She was like, too bad. I'm doing this anyway. She's like, I'm going to go again next year until you tell me yes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I love that. I want to talk a little bit about success. Now there's a million ways to, to really describe and define success for each and every one of us. I'm curious how maybe you have defined success earlier in your career and if you feel like it's the same now or how, how you currently see success or how do you measure success? I do think it's changed. I think early on success was predominantly financial. Um, it was, you know, make enough money to pay my student loans, to buy a nice house, to get a nice car. Success was a, a financial measurement. Now, financial is a piece of it, but uh, peace of mind and flexible schedule and, and quality of life with my family. And that, those are, uh, you know, being able to go to my kids, you know, games and things like that are all part of the success. Um, so to me, it's, it's more of a whole package deal. You, yeah, you got to have the financial success, but you got to be able to have balance and quality of life too. And so that has changed for me. Do you feel like you and your team have a way of celebrating success? Uh, you know, do you do it in little ways throughout the day? Do you do you appreciate success in in all sorts of ways? Well, we we do lots of different things to try to keep everybody's morale up. We have a, a shout outdoor. I don't know if that idea came from you. I can't remember where that idea came from, but basically we have this door um, at the back of X-ray where we put sticky notes up where if somebody does something nice for another team member or something, you know, hard or difficult in the practice, they'll put a sticky note. Oh, they cleaned the blowout up in room two, you know, so I'm going to put Ellen a sticky note. Thanks for doing that, you know, and then we'll fill the whole door up. Okay. And once a month, I draw one name off the door and that person gets a $25 gift card to wherever they choose. Um, occasionally on a really hard day, I'll give what's called a golden ticket, which means everybody in the practice on one sticky. So if I draw that one, everybody gets a $25 gift card, but that's, you know, how we measure daily little successful things. Oh, she put it up with Miss so-and-so and, you know, that was a difficult client or she did whatever. So we, we used to celebrate like that, but also we celebrate um, in terms of financial rewards when we're profitable, when we meet our goals, when we meet our lab goals, you know, we get meals for those things. So we celebrate in those ways um, too. And then usually we do a trip once a year or two. Um, we just got back from the lake. We went to a long weekend, Memorial Day weekend, and a big lake house with a pool. And everybody went and had a great time. Um, and so, you know, I, I like to, to celebrate my, my staff and our success, um, you know, on, on those types of things, too, because um, we enjoy spending time together. we got a really good team. I know. I'm jealous of all the trips that you guys have taken. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, there have been plenty of times I'm like, all right, we got to book our next call. And you're like, sorry, we're going to be on our work vacation. <laughs> and I'm like, sorry, we're in Cancun. <laughs> I know your Cancun trip was one for the books. And yeah, that was good. That was good. Yeah. That was our 10 year anniversary. So that one was special. Yeah. And it was, and you know, it says a lot about a team that people look, we do spend most of our time together. Right. right. And so to create a, such a cohesive team that, you know, I, you know, we say a lot at VGP, right. Like that, all about family, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. it's dangerous, right. That word family can like bring a lot of danger, but I really think that you've created, you know, call it family, call it comfort level. You know, I think there's a lot of respect for everybody that's on that team. And I, I think ultimately that's really what it boils down to, right. That mm-hmm. people enjoy spending their time together. You find like-minded people and you mentioned values before. Let's talk a little bit about that. You know, you define values for the practice. And how much do you feel like those are a part of bringing in the right people, holding people accountable? You know, you mentioned sort of having a conversation when someone's feeling low, but do you feel like those values are really like pervasive throughout? Like everybody really is aligned in those ways. I think we try to be, and I think it, it's something that, you know, I bring up at almost every team meeting is, is we we reiterate those. Um, we spent a lot of time thinking about what we wanted our values to be. And so um, we have them printed in the practice. They're up on the wall. It's, it's something I, I like to remind everybody of because it is something that's important. I think if we stay aligned with those values is when we do have the most success and we do have the most you know, satisfaction within our own jobs. And so if we can stay in alignment with those, it, everything's better. So yeah, I do like to bring them up and I do like to refer to them. They're not just something in a handbook somewhere. Do you feel like it's helped you hire the right people? I do think it it has. It's definitely something that we, I I can definitely say that there's been people that we've had to let go of because they didn't align with those values. Um, And it was a little bit clearer to see having those values that, you know, defined like that way. Absolutely. And it's a way of just preserving that culture, right? Without, mm-hmm. without that set of guidelines, it's hard to know exactly why someone doesn't feel like the right fit. Right. I mean, what area does they, do they not fit? And then it's easier to just make a decision based on that. Well, I, I absolutely have loved seeing all the work that you've done with your team. And again, like the, the fact that you have team members that want to spend that quality time together, celebrate their wins as a group, and that it really is, you know, vet med is a team sport. It is, it is yeah, not a one person sure. job and for we sure. can't do it without everybody on the team. So I, I just, Absolutely. I love, love that culture. I love your group. I love just seeing you guys thrive so much with all that said, I want to move into our rapid fire section. We're okay. going to, we're going to get to know you really quickly. First thing that comes to your mind, we've got like a lucky seven questions. Okay. Okay. First things first, what was the name of your first pet? Fancy. She was a little border collie puppy. Oh, I love that. <laughs> what music do you listen to in surgery? Oh, the text pick the music. They have they usually it's pop, but um, yeah, it's uh, Justin Bieber a lot if Lauren's in surgery. <laughs> if you had your pick of what was on in surgery, what would it be? Oh, I would probably have Midland or Chris Stapleton or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like it. What is your number one guilty pleasure? Right now, I spend a ludicrous amount of time playing Heyday on my phone. Oh, absolutely. A complete and utter time waster. And I love it so much. (laughs) Something to just like take yourself away. Yeah. Yeah. I just plant my little crops and collect my milk (laughs) from my cows and then I sell them at the market. It's so ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I am spending way too much time on that. I love it. 
Uh, what's one thing on your bucket list? To go to all four of the Grand Slam tennis tournaments. So Australian Open, U.S. Open, Wimbledon, and uh, the French Open. So I've already been the U.S. Open. So I've got I've got to go to the other three. Okay, it's happening. What's your go-to airport snack? You know what I like to. I always take this on the plane. Is cheese crackers. Okay, my mother as a child, I, I got to fly a little bit to see cousins and stuff alone as a child. And my mother would always make me pack cheese crackers because she said if the plane went down, you would have something to eat. So it's a joke between us now. So I always have to have cheese crackers in my purse when I fly. Just in case. Just in case. If it goes down, God forbid I'd be hungry. At least I can have a cracker. I like the way your mom thinks. What's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, gosh. Warren G's Regulators. Oh, I don't know if I know that song. I'm going to... I'm going to Spotify that right now. Really old school rap song. Yes. And I know all the words. <laughs> so good. And last question. If you can go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be? Relax. Everything will work out. You know, I think you know, there's just been, you spend a lot of time worrying about stuff that never happens. And uh, I, I think I'm learning how to not do that as much. But in my younger days, I spent a lot of time worrying about things that never needed to be worried about. I love it. And it seems like you are really leaning into that now. So you're, yeah. you're getting into that. You're setting your boundaries. So Dr. Coffin, I couldn't thank you more for coming on this podcast and sharing your story yeah. with all of our listeners. I am extra excited because again, I've had the pleasure of working with you for so long and yes. knowing you and seeing your, your success. So I'm just so glad that other people get to hear it and see it and hopefully be inspired by you as well. Well, I appreciate it so much. I've loved working with you. You've been a very big asset to our practice and uh, really enjoyed it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. And uh, by the way, if you know somebody that in your life is a success story in veterinary medicine, and I really mean this, it could be a kennel worker. It could be the person who cleans your hospital. Uh, it, it can be the best client that comes through the door who's an animal advocate, uh, a success story in your neighborhood. Uh, those are the kind of stories that we're looking for. And so I don't think we're going to have any shortage uh, of uh, candidates, but I'm always interested to hear what you think of when we say who's a success in your life what's going on in their vet med mind <laughs> <laughs>